Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. From KQED. On the western edge of Stanford University's sprawling 8,000-acre campus stands a giant satellite dish pointed at the sky. It's known simply as the dish, and it stands out among Stanford's rolling green or yellow hills, depending on the season. Who built the dish? When was it built? For what purpose? Is it still in service? If it's not in service, when was it taken out of service? I think that's the bulk of it. That's former Menlo Park resident Jim Timmons, who retired from a career in finance four years ago. He's now moved to a farm outside of Toronto in Canada, but he still listens to Bay Curious. I still stream KQED and I still listen to Bay Curious podcasts. And he still dreams about the dish. Not just the satellite dish, but the lovely park and walking path that surround the massive saucer that 600,000 people visit each year. Hey everyone, I'm Olivia Allen Price, and this is Bay Curious, the podcast that explores the Bay Area one question at a time. This week, we're answering Jim's questions about the Stanford dish. And the question that I have, are the rumors I heard about the dish, that it's listening for aliens, are they true? Stick around and we'll find out. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing... And I know you love what you're hearing. Please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we're mainly here to answer Jim's questions about the Stanford satellite dish. But we do also have a few other questions from listeners about the park that surrounds the dish. To answer them all, I knew we had to call in KQED's Rachel Myro. You called? You are obsessed with the dish, are you not? I am. Your bio on KQED's website even says, and I quote, Outside of the studio, you'll find Rachel circling the Stanford dish. 
Like, how often are you at that park? Well, it depends on how busy I am with work. But on average, at least once a week. There are so many amazing trails on the peninsula. What is so special about that one? Oh, so many special things, Olivia, starting with the 360-degree view. Let's let Jim describe it. It's just an incredible view. I can remember it like it was yesterday. To the west is the Pacific Ocean. To the south, I could see past San Jose. To the east, I could see well into the Central Valley. And to the north, I could see all the way past San Francisco and the Golden Gate into Marin. Now, I have never seen quite so far as Jim says he did when he started running around the dish as a Stanford student back in 1979. But I do spot San Jose and San Francisco on clear days. And I just love the way, with repeat visits, I can watch the landscape change over the seasons. Oak trees sprout leaves in the spring and drop them in the winter. Clutches of deer and turkeys roam the grounds in the spring. Coyotes and tarantulas, too, in the late summer. Red-tailed hawks coast on thermals, hunting for chirping ground squirrels in the grass below all year round. Now, I've never seen a mountain lion, but there are signs warning me they're out there as well. It sounds a lot like a public park. It does, doesn't it? I spoke with Jovan Solis, who works with Stanford land, buildings, and real estate. And even though I think of the dish as a park designed for my personal delight, Solis says that's not actually how it was envisioned. The dish is primarily used for academic research purposes, but in addition to that, it's used for habitat restoration, conservation efforts. Look closely and you'll spot all kinds of habitat restoration projects Stanford students are working on. There are efforts to encourage native grasses and plants like the sticky monkey flower and California poppies and critters like the California tiger salamander. Come to think of it, I did one time get reprimanded by an official when I was at the dish for stepping off the path. All right. Okay. Now let's get back to that satellite dish. That's what Jim actually wants to know about. He wants the dish about the dish at the dish. The dish is a 150-foot wide parabolic antenna radio telescope pointed at the heaven. What the heck is a parabolic antenna radio telescope? Basically, Olivia, a giant U-shaped dish that sends and receives signals from space. The dish is surrounded by a chain-link fence most of the time. But for Bay Curious, Stanford took me on a group tour, complete with a drive up to the dish in an electric vehicle. And who's the Wizard of Oz who runs this thing? Uh, I'm Stephen Muther, and I am a senior research engineer with SRI International. We are the folks who operate and uh, manage the dish. SRI International, based in Menlo Park, is a nonprofit scientific research institute started by Stanford in 1946. When was this thing installed? About 1960, and it was uh, built as kind of a Cold War response to Sputnik. Sputnik was the first artificial satellite launched into space by the Soviet Union in 1957. It was about the size and shape of a beach ball, and it sent the U.S. into a national panic that we then positively channeled into a space program of our own. So yeah, the dish was part of that. With the original idea that we were going to be 
watching the other side, listening to signals from them uh, as they bounce off of the moon, using the moon as a reflector. Why would you need to bounce signals off the moon? You don't need to, but a lot of scientists, student scientists, and amateur radio enthusiasts like to, for research and for fun. The dish concentrates radio waves into a narrow beam of energy, most of which gets absorbed by the moon. The rest bounces back our way, a round trip that takes about two and a half seconds. You know, I just presumed this was designed to listen for aliens. No, it actually... It actually turns out that this is kind of a bad place to do that because there's so much man-made noise from cell phones to broadcast stations, radio dispatch to anything, that it's a very noisy environment. In order to do that kind of thing, you really want to be out in the middle of nowhere. We mostly um, talk to spacecraft um, closer to home and a lot stronger signals to, to work with. So no aliens then? No just satellites. But this thing is still seriously cool. Did I mention the dish is 150 feet across from edge to edge, so about 10 stories tall? Suffice it to say, I was huffing and puffing when I got the chance to climb the steps to the mezzanine. Try and touch the hand railing as little as possible. There's all kinds of uh, bird gifts on there. The climb was worth it. While we were up there, some crows flew by chasing a red-tailed hawk who flew so close to me I felt I could reach out and touch that red tail if I wasn't clutching my recording kit and gasping for air. Muther also took us to visit the observation deck inside, his day-to-day office, which looks like a science classroom circa 1960, albeit one with a great view. All these buttons here are the same ones you see on the, uh, on the control consoles in the old Apollo mission control. Yes. It's the same hardware, came from the same area, uh, era, and, um, you know, it's still in use today. We still have spare parts for it. And Olivia, the whole structure rotates. The dish sits on a circular rail, and Muther controls the dish's movements from inside the observation deck using a 1960s-era control panel featuring, among other things, a big red button with the word panic printed on it. I've got to ask, what happens when you press the panic button? Well, I was going to... Oh, it, <laughs> if, if the antenna is in motion, everything stops. It shuts off the motor drives, puts on the brakes, and, and we're, you know, dead quiet. What would uh, occasion the need to press that button? Well, sometimes the computer doesn't do what you think it should be doing and sends you off in the wrong direction really fast, and you've got to put a stop to it, so the button goes. If there was ever, and this has never occurred, somebody standing on the track out there, keep in mind, this whole structure rotates, the building and everything. Um, you might want to stop it because somebody or something has gotten in the way. Did you ask Muther what he's heard from space? (laughs) Have you ever overheard anything interesting? (laughs) You mean uh, looking around the sky for signals? Uh, Yeah, or or maybe I should phrase it like, what's the most interesting thing you've ever heard? You know, quite honestly, the most interesting thing I ever heard was my own voice coming back from the moon. We took a very basic... uh, amateur or ham radio transceiver, put it right on the desk here. Instead of its own small antennas, we connected it up to the dish, pointed the dish at the moon, you say a few words into a microphone, and back comes your voice about two and a half seconds later because of the speed of light time delay. And we've sent Morse code signals to the moon and back. 
And and what what did you say to yourself? Uh, testing one two three. Hello hello. So what did our question asker Jim Timmons have to say about all this? Super job. And you must have had so much fun doing it, clamoring around on that thing. Yeah, it's a very special place. It is a very special place, Olivia. And while the public doesn't get access to the satellite dish itself, I do find it striking how much of the rest of the property we're welcome to enjoy day in and day out as long as we stay on the designated paths. KQED's Rachel Myro, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to Jim Timmons for asking the question. We've got a super sweet gift in the mail for you, Jim. If you've got a question you'd like the Bay Curious team to answer, send it our way at baycurious.org. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. Our show is produced by Katrina Schwartz, Brendan Willard, Sebastian Mignobuccelli, and me, Olivia Allen-Price. Have a good one. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 